The following podcast contains explicit language. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Madison Perry was always that nice guy with the girlfriend. And then he went through one of those breakups, the kind that makes you stop and rethink everything. And he realized something, something big. In a year, he wanted to go to Burning Man. I was talking to a friend who had just been to Burning Man for the first time, and it had been quite an experience for him. And I was like, I want to go to Burning Man, but I I need to be single when I go, because I imagined I would have all this weird desert sex. He set a goal to stay single for a full year. And so that was the, the spark to make the goal. And, and very quickly, I realized it was just a smart thing for me to do was to reset emotionally a bit before I got into a serious relationship. But the problem with casual dating is that it's easy to fall back into the mode of relationship dating, especially if you've never really learned how to set those boundaries in the past. Up until that point, Madison was what he calls a capital N, capital G, nice guy. What it is is a person that I mistook politeness and lack of conflict for being a kind person, which oftentimes it's not. So like a nice guy would say, ah, I don't want to break up. It'll hurt her feelings too much. But staying in a relationship with someone you don't really want to be with is unkind. You're just putting off the inevitable and it will hurt more when you actually break up. And he realized that instead of worrying all the time about whether or not his dates would like him, there's a kindness in being direct. Obviously, it's going too far if your first message is like, asking if the person wants to hook up that night. But you should be forward about your dating. You want to date the person and have sex, not try to be their friend or network or, or whatever. And just being a bit honest about how you're feeling at every stage of a relationship is, is part of being kind. I'm Andre Salenzi, and this is YOY. For the first half of today's show, I'm talking with Madison Perry. He's the author of Available, a memoir of heartbreak, hookups, love, and brunch— And I want to learn from him. How did he navigate that year of casual dating? Dating in my 30s, nothing feels casual. By choice, you know, my online dating profile says no hookups. Even though hookups are cool, you know? And I wonder, would my dating life be more fun and easy if I could just embrace casual? Maybe Madison can help. How did you navigate those this transition into casual dating as a recovery nice guy? How did you start to explain, you know, what you're looking for and how do women react to that? It was always difficult to know when to have that discussion, because if like five minutes into the first date or in a message you say it, it can be like weird and presumptuous because you're just starting to know each other. So if you're like, well, I'm not looking to marry you, the other person will be like, <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I just met you five minutes ago. Like, get over yourself. So the wind was always a little tough. It would usually come up organically. And some women responded well, meaning they were like, yeah, me too. I'm actually dating three other people. That, that's fine. And then we would keep dating. Some said, ah, not for me, looking for something serious. And then some, some did get mad. You know, and I think everyone has their different sort of amount of interaction that adds up to a silent promise of uh, uh, at least trying to have a serious relationship. And it, it, that's where it gets tough to know for sure. I'm usually the girl 
who gets this wrong. There are some things that my date can do that I will interpret as that silent promise that he wants to be my boyfriend someday. Things like introducing me to his friends or loaning me a book, saying we should go on a vacation together someday, leaving a sweater at my apartment, posing for a selfie together, making a joke about what our kid would look like, holding eye contact longer than five seconds, really just even asking me what my birthday is. It's like, ah, he wants to get me a present. Oh my God, he's my boyfriend now. Like for some people, having sex means we are committed. We're not going to see other people. For some people, it's like, well, five dates. For some people, it's I see you twice a week. For some people, it's sleeping over. But everyone else, you know, ideally everyone would just have a conversation, but we all have these things that we sort of count as silent promises. And then we get mad when they're not held up by the other person, even though we had no, they had no idea. They were making a promise sometimes. Right. You described it as the warmth of he might become my boyfriend affection. <laughs> like girls kiss right. you just a little differently if they think you might be their boyfriend someday. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of times a tipping point that uh, I could feel when I was casually dating. And it just they, they become more people become more sort of patient and affectionate. The sort of plans you make change uh, when you're moving from do I like this guy to I do. Maybe we'll date soon. The tipping point. So the, the tipping point is when you prompt that conversation. How does your conversation usually go? Usually uh, some sort of version of what are you looking for out of this? Or sometimes it's prompted by a complaint. You know, wh why haven't we seen each other more often? Sometimes it's prompted by an invitation to something you know signifies more than just hanging out, maybe meeting friends or going to uh, meet family or something like that. And... And then you have to have the have a conversation about what you're interested in, and they can. A lot of times, they people say they're fine with casual, and then pretty quickly they're they're not, and it ends. Sometimes women think that they could be like the Trojan horse that, like, no matter what you said, that maybe they might be able to sneak in through your gates. <laughs> yeah. And get there. Where does that dynamic come from? Isn't that kind of a narrative we've been taught that, like, if you are just that exceptional, you can, you know, unharden his heart. Yeah, I think there's sort of a, a cultural stereotype that guys don't want to settle down in general and that it has nothing to do with the specific woman. And so I think women can buy into this notion like I just have to get past that defensive, which is general and not about me. And I have to show this person how I would be the greatest girlfriend and all his worries about being in a relationship are not will not matter with me. Um, when the truth is, uh, when guys are ready to settle down and they really like a woman, it, it usually happens pretty fast. That resistance is not there. It's it's usually, uh, you know, a lot of people say it's not you, it's me. It's usually you. It's usually uh, there's not enough attraction there if a, if a guy isn't committing. When you would encounter women who are trying to date seriously, how did those conversations go down when they realized that you weren't? And like if women are feeling their adulthood hitting them sooner than guys and pressure from yeah. family, pressure like biologically to start dating seriously. Did you encounter those that stress from women when you were on dates in your 30s? Yes. I could tell sometimes that it was they were more serious about it than I was. I really enjoyed dating. I thought the process was really fun and interesting and I met interesting people and had a lot of cool experiences. And I think you can tell when someone is not interested in the process, they're interested in the end result, they're interested in having a relationship. And so they have to spend all this time doing something they don't really like for the end goal. It's sort of, I don't know, it's like running. If you hated running, but you want to be skinnier. So every time you're running, you're like, this is the worst. But in six months, I'll lose 10 pounds. That'll be great. You can't pretend to enjoy it if you 
really don't. No. And I don't think you should. I mean, if if from the other side, if you're a woman or a man that's looking only for us, you're you're using these apps or whatever method to find a serious partner. You should just ask that up front and, and see how the guy responds. And unless it's pretty enthusiastic, yes, then move on. And it's okay to, to ask that and not, not date those people. Right. But doesn't that take all the game out of, out of what we're doing? You know, because I think there is a vibe that dating should be fun. And it's kind of a boner killer to spend a date being like, <laughs> so who do you think should be responsible for child care? <laughs> like, it would be nice to just True. be fun and flirty and play with your hair and giggle and not start launching into like your reproductive timelines. Yeah, I, yeah, don't definitely don't do that. <laughs> I mean, more just asking the question: Are you interested in a relationship at this point in your life? Because women ask me that even before we went on a date, and I would just say no, and they'd say, "Okay, I just don't think that's we should meet up." When you went on dates, you described it as like the same rush as performing on stage. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I found that especially after I'd been doing it for a while, you like can kind of play the hits, so to speak. You know, like you know what stories people tend to respond to. You know the places to take people and and as someone who performs live sometimes like part of the thrill is getting a group of strangers to like you and i i sort of figured out at a certain point like ah that that's part of the fun of dating which i don't think is is healthy ultimately at a certain point you get so good at it you're like is do i does she like me or just uh the dating skills i have now did those skills come in handy when you finally met your person yes they did it's i think that's the the funny thing about dating a lot is the end result is you find your partner and you don't date anymore. So it's like, I don't know, it's like retiring right after you're the best player in the sport or something, or the best you'll ever be at this one skill is when you retire uh, immediately. <laughs> but it was really helpful to just know, I think it gave me a lot of confidence. That was a big thing for me. I'd always had girlfriends. And so I knew I could get a girlfriend, but I, I had this somewhere inside of me, high school, Madison just still felt like who didn't date at all. Like, ah, I'm not good at girls, whatever that means. And then I dated for a while. I was like, oh, but like people will date me. I'm a fine person and I'm pretty good at dating now. And and now that's just off my shoulders. And I could just really evaluate the relationship with, with the woman who had become my wife. It wasn't about winning her or getting her to like me. It was about seeing if we liked each other. Do you think you would have been as good of a partner to her if you hadn't had the lessons from that journey? I think when I was in relationships prior to my marriage, there's always part of me thinking about like, oh, how great would it be if I was single and I was dating a lot? And I dated enough to realize, like, it's not, it's not that great on a long enough timeline. And so now I'm very happy and content to be with my partner. And I, I've been with a lot of different people. And I know, you know, I had the spark with her and that feeling of love. But I also, she's just like an objectively good partner and a compatible human being. And I was sort of able to separate those things and be clear that I had them both in uh, my wife. That's comedy writer Madison Perry. He's the author of Available, a memoir of heartbreak, hookups, love, and brunch. It's fantastic, and you should all pick it up and then learn what happens when he finally makes it to Burning Man. Let's take a break, but when we're back, I'm going to bring you more dating advice for the casual and casual verse with sex therapist Chris Donahue. Mm 
Joining me now is Dr. Chris Donahue. He's the co-host of Love Line with Amber Rose and author of Sex Outside the Lines, Authentic Sexuality in a Sexually Dysfunctional Culture. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> I, I have this friend of mine, uh, and and she, she used to really enjoy casual sex. You know, the, her heart and her vagina, there was like a clear separation between the two. But now she's getting older. She's uh, about to turn 33. And uh, she's feeling ready to... <laughs> this person sounds familiar. <laughs> I know her really well. We talk I can constantly. Tell. All day long. I wanted to talk to Dr. Chris for a couple reasons. One, I love his podcast, Love Line with Amber Rose. And two, I was hoping he'd write me some kind of prescription to help me get over this newfound allergy I'd been having to casual sex. I mean, my, my friend's allergy. My three most important, most powerful, most committed relationships came from casual sex and casual dating. And in doing so, we realized like, wow, there's really something here. You know, you're really special to me. You're important to me. And it really turned and grew into something else. And I think you limit yourself if you kind of push that aside. It feels so gendered to me sometimes where I worry in those situations that I'm making big, you know, are you my future boyfriend eyes? <laughs> and that, I, that, I, <laughs> that I'm going to latch on If you think you are, then you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But see, this is the thing. There's something really beautiful about that. I think that you should continue to do that. We are so afraid of vulnerability and authenticity. We are such big game players, and we really rely on a lot of manipulative tactics to try to get someone. And I say to people, if you make goo-goo, big, bold, I want you to be my boyfriend, husband eyes on date one, fucking do it because that's who you are. And if you're one of those people that likes to text them all day, every day, do it. That is how you are. And that's how you really assess compatibility. I'm one of those people and and I'm a guy. I'm one of those people that I'll hit you up every hour and the hour and be like, what are you doing now? How about now? What are you doing now? But what about now? Because I like a lot of closeness and intimacy. And if I'm dating someone and they can't tolerate that, I want to know that. Because that's the only way you're going to figure out if the if you're a match. Yes. Way. If one of you is just like holding it in all the time. That's horrible. And then they let it out once he becomes your boyfriend. Yeah, and we do that. Yeah. Like a lot of people do that. They do this. It's like I jokingly say it's like a drive-by intimacy bombing where they play it cool because they think my job is to get this person, not not assess compatibility, but to get them. So I'm going to play cool, right? I'm going to hang in there and I'm going to hold back. Yeah, I'm like, I'm seeing like some other people right now. So I'm, I'm busy on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever done that where you're just like, you're trying to cut uh, into the intensity of a thing yeah. by pretending that there's other things or actually forcing the other things to exist? Yeah. And, you know, again. Not, not that I've done that. <laughs> it's nothing you know too well. You know, again. I'm so busy on Saturdays. It's crazy. Saturday nights for you. Never <laughs> available ever. I need a month's notice. You know, there's something powerful in trying to maybe live in that way. So you take some pressure off of the person you're dating as being your sole resource for, you know, socialization or whatnot. But I also say, again, be honest, because at some point you're going to have to show up as you are, or more importantly, at some point you're going to have to realize like, this isn't, this isn't working for me. And look, I've, I've been in, you know, probably like yourself, I've been in every form and style of relationship. And so I've been on both ends where I've been the one pumping the brakes, or I've been the one trying to like push that gas pedal down to the ground. <laughs> Right. But my energy right now is just pure boner killer because <laughs> the energy I'm setting out is, is you know, I'm gauging our long-term compatibility. I want to talk about all the serious stuff right, you know, from the right. start. I want to know, you know, within a month if you want to have a family someday. Well, I'm setting you up with my brother because my older brother lives in that exact space as well where he's – 
actually always complaining about the fact that he keeps meeting these women that just aren't in a place where they really want to be fully committed and they're focused on school or or other things. And, and he's looking to really develop something serious and committed. And so, you know, he's feeling your pain. Is he in New York? He's in Philly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Too <laughs> <could> far. <laughs> no, it's just those guys don't exist. I mean, it's a market, right? And just in New York, that guy is really hard to to come by. So let's imagine that I'm on a date with this brother, whose number I'm really hoping to get by the end of this interview. And I begin the date by saying, just so you know, I'm looking for a relationship. Dr. Chris says, yes, go there. You know, healthy people like signs of health, interested people like signs of interest. And so you want someone who is open and can tolerate and can conceive of the idea of committed relationship. So lead with that. I love long-term, deep, committed relationships. And so I get turned on on a first date when someone goes right there. I get turned off if, you know, my date starts talking about, you know, I don't know where I am in life. I don't know what I want. I can't imagine settling down. I'm like, date's over. (laughs) Check. (laughs) Check, please. Right. But isn't it a sign of bad judgment if if I'm sending the energy that I want all of that from someone before I actually know what their apartment looks like, you know, know how they talk to their mom on the phone? <laughs> you know, there, there are things that you actually need to learn about a person and to go and to send all in energy too soon feels like a mistake. I think I think it really depends on how you legitimize or, or what your hierarchy is of what's what's really truly important in terms of intimacy building. You know, for me, it's about the emotional, the psycho, the social, and the sexual. So when people jokingly say like, oh, I don't even know their middle name. How well do I know them? I say maybe pretty damn well, because those are really superficial characteristics. Those are anything Googleable in my head is not, doesn't count. For me, if I can sit with someone for a few hours on a first date and we can talk really deeply and I feel like I've gotten to know who they are on those levels, that's powerful. And that's why I recommend sex sooner than later for a couple reasons. Number one is That's how you learn the most about them. It's body esteem you're learning about, how much intimacy and closeness they can tolerate, how much commitment they might want. It's really important to see how they treat you afterwards. And if there's levels of compatibility beyond sex and the physical, they'll reach out the day after. They will circle back because there's more that they're interested in. There's more levels they're compatible with. People that don't talk to you again after you hook up, it's because that's all that was there. I mean, again, you're, I, you kind of sound like you really want me to pathologize you. <laughs> you're like, tell me I'm bad. Tell no. me I'm wrong on my date. No. But I'm okay with it. I feel like it's unfair to my audience that I've had so little sex this year and they never get to hear about <laughs> sex. And, you know, like, yeah. I think it's so essential to dating. And I'm totally with you that, like, we got we have to get to that next stage and before you really know if you're compatible Let me with say someone. This. Let me say this to you. I hear this often. I hear this idea sometimes that to engage in casual dating or casual sex is to somehow limit my ability to be available or to meet something for more long term. And that's not correct. You can be doing both at the same time. You can be casually dating people that you have no interest in beyond casualness while still available to be met and to date someone on a serious level. If they emerge, if it becomes that, if they happen to meet you in line at Starbucks, you can do it all. And I tell my patients to be in that process, that you have to be in that process to encounter these people, to see if something can lead to something. And so you can hold both. 
Yes, because we only live this one time, and it's a Thursday night, and your apartment's nearby, and <laughs> we I should probably just get this out of the way now. <laughs> okay, I think this isn't just me. I think it's actually a lot of my lady listeners are going through this, too. And, you know, something I'm thinking about is that those chemicals that happen, right? In the early right. stages of dating, you just get flooded. I'm sure you could tell me the exact chemical makeup of all the things I'm being flooded with. And I hate having my judgment clouded. So so what is actually happening to my body if I go home with him on a Thursday night? Okay. So let me let me let me dispel a little bit of a myth. And this is actually important for people to hear. We talk often about biology and neurology as though it's localized and specific. And what that means is we think that behavior A leads to chemical neuroreaction B. And our bodies don't work like that. It's more complex than that. And there's always multiple inputs coming in and multiple outputs. So we can never isolate and say, this is what happens to your brain when you're crushing or falling in love. Because that doesn't happen in a vacuum. Like you were also maybe got fired that day. So that's in there. Your mom called and just yelled at you. That's in there. You're assessing your body and, and really struggling with body issues. That's in there. So like we can't, we can't isolate it quite like that. And also a lot of the neurochemicals that are released upon crushing and falling in love are also released when a friend hugs us, when we eat that donut we've been eye banging in you know, the bakery window on the walk home from the gym every day, when we wake up and feel like we're in a really great mood. There, we don't have chemicals that are just like specific. You know, we talk a lot about like oxytocin. That can happen from a smile from a friend. You know, like these chemicals are always operating on us. And I always tell people that about sex, too. We can't say like sex just happened. Sex is always happening. You know, my sexuality is what I'm wearing today. My sexuality is how close I stood to the girl in front of me in line at Starbucks and whether or not I made or held eye contact. My sexuality is how I'm walking down the street. Like it's a drive that's always happening. And so it's not like it happened then, it stopped then, it's operating now. It, we're like in a soup of all of this always. So I always like throw that in there, number one. Right. But I, I, I still think my judgment can get really distorted, right? Because if you For have sure. this like mind-blowing, incredible night with someone and then he, he says something to you where you're like, that was a warning sign. You're like, yeah. but I really want to have sex with him again. So I guess when I'm well, yes, dating with something... this goal, I, I it does <laughs> long term. <laughs> that, that is that again. You keep calling it out. You know, everything for someone like you who wants that long term commitment relationship and and people that are listening, which is is a healthy, acceptable goal. You're definitely running everything through that. So anything they say or do, you're putting through that meter as a barometer assessment of whether or not they also want that goal. And that's not fair because sometimes maybe the guy really does have an early day the next day, <laughs> and it's not about you. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like maybe he really does have to leave the date early to go walk his dog and it's not about you. But we tend to do that where we're like hypersensitive. We make this person our hyper focus and everything is through the lens of do they like me or don't they like me? And it's not fair because they might very much like you, but they might also be willing to balance out other priorities. Right, which is actually a sign of good judgment and that they have their stuff together. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. That means they might be a keeper. <laughs> oh, right. He's not like planning out the outfit for our future child's first day of kindergarten right now. So no, because you've actually, already done yeah. that. Yeah. You've already done that. <laughs> that doesn't need to get done. But is that an impulse I should be controlling? Like, how do I, you know, like, should we, should, I mean, my friend, how does she stop her mind from going zero to 100 <laughs> just like after one orgasm? <laughs> it's hard because you you are calling out a truth, which is, 
you know, when our when two people that are into each other's bodies touch and we make eye contact, you know, attachment theory or interpersonal neurobiology, which is kind of like an offshoot of attachment theory, it tells us something really beautiful. And I love this metaphor that like our brains wire and the only thing that then separates us is our skin. That deep eye contact, we like merge our, you know, they become part of us. And that's why when someone disappoints us or a breakup happens, you literally feel a loss. And that's because in a emotional, bio, psycho-relational way, you have. Something has been pulled apart and ripped off of you. So I don't say to misuse that, but I say that as humans, it's a beautiful gift. As humans, sometimes we have to allow a short-term relationship or situation to be nothing more than just that, and that there is value in that. And we have to get away from this, this like, you know, sexist, matter-obsessed notion that if it doesn't become long-term or committed, it somehow has less value. And that relationships are only of worth if they lead to marriage and long-term and children, because it's not fair. I don't know, though. I think my heart might, like, and most people have it in their chest, but I think mine might be in my vagina, though. Like, I think it, it fell. It used to be up where it was supposed to be. And now, like, if it gets poked, I'm like... Oh, shit. <laughs> I love, I love you. you now. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> then you're an oral girl. You're an oral girl. Uh-huh. <laughs> if your heart dropped that low, we're going to stick with oral with you. Chris, I'm blushing. <laughs> but, I mean, you're right. Like, maybe if I do know something's going to make me fall unreasonably for someone, then I should be careful about that thing, whatever it is. Look, I'm going to scare you even more. You know, the divorce rate is at about 60%. The cheating rate right now of all the relationships that are in existence, about 75 percent of them, or at least as high as 60 percent of them, have one partner cheating in some form. So what that tells us is that the norm is that it probably won't go the beautiful fantasy way that you have planned in your head. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So shouldn't I date in a way that is that is more deliberate, right? What would that mean, though? Ask more questions. <laughs> like what, though? Uh, hey, three years from now, <laughs> when we're married, I mean, if we're married, <laughs> when we have three kids, I mean, if we had kids, would you ever? I mean, we really can't plan for that. And Well, you know what Esther Perel told me? I just interviewed oh, her the other, go. Go, the other day. Here we go. Here we go means that Chris actually has some issues with Esther Perel, specifically how she discusses porn in her new book. She considers it a kind of infidelity, apparently, and he considers that anti-male. But what I really wanted to hear from him is what he thought of her suggestion to ask these big, provocative questions on a first date. Let me just tell you what she told me, which is that she was like, on your first date, play a game with him. Ask him to imagine that you are 20 years into your marriage and what a fight together would look like. So it was she came up with this fun game for me so I could That's not real. That's not real. That's not real. If I was sitting with you, let's say we go on a date me and you, okay? Cuz I'm in New York now and I'm now single and I ask you out and you say yes and we go on a date and you're wait, like Wait, wait, wait. I'm game. seeing your brother right now, so I don't know if I can Well, <laughs> actually he's a really he's a really great guy, so I would happily support and honor that. But let's say for some reason, some horrible reason you decided he wasn't right for you. Like I'm going to put you in the empowered position in this scenario. <laughs> Thank you. So you realize, sorry James, it's 
it's just it's just not what I'm looking for. Chris is the big deal. Like, I got to go that way. So me and you go on our date and you show up and you're like, let's play a game. And I'm like, OK, that's cool. Like, I like games. I like people that think outside the box. And you say, let's imagine I like the voice I have, like your voice all of a sudden got really cartoony in this example. And I was you trying say to, to me, do Esther Perel. I'm not good at it. <laughs> I'm doing like a Muppet voice because every whenever I enact someone, they're a Muppet in my head. It's like a cartoon happened. So <clears throat> you say, let's play a game. And you say, 20 years from now, I would stop you and say, you know what? We are we are always changing. Um, I have no idea who I'll be in 20 years. I have powerful, amazing life events that happen. And I, I couldn't ever speak to that. But what I would say to you is I can tell you one thing, that I would respect and care about you enough, or I would hope to, or I'd hope that I'd hold myself accountable to my ethics and integrity. And if and when things started changing where they weren't making sense or working for me, I would let you know as soon as that was happening so we could work on it, talk about it, maybe do some couples therapy. And I wouldn't blindside you by taking the really heinous, violent solution of cheating or just dropping you. That's the best I could tell you. Something I really liked in your book, Sex Outside the Lines, was the idea that, you know, our relationship could be a contract that is ever evolving, right? So just because I'm on that first date with you talking about long-term monogamy doesn't mean monogamy is always going to be the answer for us as a couple. So it's like you're gauging your ability to talk about those things, right? For sure. For sure. And that's and that's the hope. Like, I think some people misunderstand some of the punchier points that I make. And again, I'm so pro-relationship. I'm so pro-love. I'm pro-integrity. I'm pro-ethics. Monogamy is such a powerful, beautiful choice relationally for a lot of people. I support it. But there's this there's this lie in commitment and marriage specifically where it's this idea that like, I'm going to ask you on this day, this random Thursday in December to look at me and tell me that no matter whatever happens, you're going to stay committed to me. And that's not healthy. That's not appropriate. That's not, that's not really truly even legal. And and what you really should say is, I, I promise to hold myself accountable to my integrity, my ethics, and to love you and care about you. And if and when something changes or this isn't working, to bring you into that discussion so we can talk about healthy solutions to fix it, as opposed to just disappearing, cheating, dumping you, or, or all these other really horrible solutions. That's what we can promise. But we can't promise forever. We can't. Because we don't know. This is a personal question, so you don't have to answer it. But sure. Are you in love with someone right now? I am engaged. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> Does it make your work harder or easier when you when you have that person? I would say both. I think that I think that it was important that I've been a part of everything, meaning I didn't get into you know, I didn't marry my first girlfriend at 14. I was able to date a multitude of people in different relational styles and ways. And so I really understand what what's going on. But more importantly, it, it's a beautiful resource and support to come home to, where after I've had a long day of seeing patients or a long day of doing television or my podcast or a book tour, it's a resource. It's something to cuddle into. It's something really healing and transformative that I wouldn't have if I just came home to my cat. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. That broke my heart to say that. I like literally as I was saying that, I was like, don't keep saying that. <laughs> it's fine. I have a dog, not a cat. So it's totally different. Well, because your dog will at least hug you. My cat wants to be ignored. So you're, you're fine. You're fine. Oh, man. That's my future brother-in-law, Dr. Chris Donahue. He's the host of the Loveline podcast with Amber Rose, and his book is called Sex Outside the Lines. I don't know about you guys, but if anything, both of these guests have actually made me feel like I'm doing the right thing with my dating life. 
and being upfront about what I'm looking for in a relationship, even if that's going to mean a long, cold winter for my friend. Now it's time for another blind Skype date. This week we have Travis and Zanira. He's 25, she's 23, and they both live in Austin, Texas. They spoke late at night on a Friday, and right from the moment they first met, you can hear them smiling at each other through the screen. Hello. Hey, hi. Hi, I'm Travis. I'm Zanira. Hi, Zanira. Nice to meet you. Likewise. Uh, Yeah, pretty sure they like each other. My first question, it's a little like, I dive in like really deep is have you ever doubted your career choice and how did you deal with that doubt? Mm, I'll say yes. I don't have a career in the general sense. I have uh, the place that I makes me money is my job. Music is the thing that I'm really passionate about. And there's definitely been times when I was like, man, I have maybe made some decisions that made my life harder that were, you know, for that piece of my life. Definitely, there's been doubts there. But for the most part, no, I still really love music too much to to feel like that's why I moved to Austin was for music, which, hard. yeah, I know, I know. Another Austin band person. Go figure. No, there's, there's no judgment. I'm a big supporter of the arts. Okay. So everyone has like multiple favorite bands growing up or like throughout life. Like if you ask me what my favorite band was, that's a hard question to answer because at different times, there's been different ones. So instead of asking what your favorite band is, which of any of your favorite bands throughout your life had the most impact on your personality? Wow. Okay. I almost asked a question like that. And I was, I was actually thinking about this today because I was listening to them in my car, but okay. So it's a tie between actually, no, I know what it is. Local natives, my all time favorite band, Really? Yeah. Is it the same for you? No, it's not the same, but I like that band a lot. That's more uh, more obscure than I maybe thought you were going to say, which is, yeah, that's awesome. Oh. <laughs> no, that song, Who Knows Who Cares? I jam that on the drums. That's like one of the songs that has impacted my like personality because I can be really shy and I can ramble and all of this stuff and not necessarily show my true self. After listening to that, I was like, wow, like, really, who knows, who cares, who gives a fuck? Like, I don't need everyone's approval for how I'm living my life. So yeah, they're my favorite band. I feel like that was a shaping of my personality. I think if I had to pick a band, it's like that changed the way I maybe was or like interpreted my surroundings or myself. It would, this is so cliche. It would probably be New Remote Hotel. <gasps> two, one, two, three, four. I found them when I was like a freshman in high school, I think, and 
maybe it's just because I was in high school. Maybe it had nothing to do with them, but maybe it did, you know? So <laughs> I think they're probably the ones who, who like shaped kind of like how I aligned my personality with my surroundings. Speaking of neutral milk hotel, if you couldn't tell from my reaction, I'm also a big fan. Yeah, I could tell. <laughs> I think we have a match. So after they got through their questions, they talked about local sushi restaurants and bars for just way too long in a way where it was like, they were both kind of waiting for the other to just say it. And finally, Travis remembered that he had to leave for band practice. So he made the move. Well, we should go get food sometime. We should. Yeah. Here, I, instead of getting your number, though, how about I get your email? Because I'm terrible at texting, and I, I always end up kind of coming across as an asshole. Um, mm-hmm. And I think via email, my same amount of contact would come across as just very... Not a national. <laughs> okay. We can do that. What's your email address? Okay, it is. Our team at YOY was so sure that we had finally made a successful match. But the last we checked in with them, Zanera was still waiting for a response from Travis, who never responded to our email either. Our show is produced by me, Andrea Salenzi, with Lindsay Cradwell. Our editor is Hilary Frank. Our artwork changes every week thanks to Teddy Blanks at Chips.NYC. And our theme music is by Andy Miklas, Casey Holford, Lee Rosefear, Evan Viola. Special thanks to Mila Bell and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Next time on YOY. Forget dating advice. It's time to fix brunch. This is an important, this is probably the best tip I can give today, like screw relationship stuff. If you're at a brunch, particularly with four or more people, order a sweet, like the the exciting pancake that you're like, I can't eat all that. That's too much sweet. You order it for the table, then everyone gets like five bites and, and it's a dessert. <laughs>